This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Odyssey Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Well, actually, a bonus and special episode of Big Time Baseball here on Odyssey Sports. This is Cody Decker, former professional baseball player, turned into a professional smartass on the radio. And with me, the one and only, the great John Heyman, Odyssey Insider, MLB Network Insider. He does it all, and we got a special guest for you guys today. John, how you been, by the way? I'm good. I'm good. And I, I have to say, I like that professional smart ass. You were, you were good as a baseball player, made it to the major leagues, but you're even better as a smart ass, I got to say. I got to say, I 100% agree <laughs> with you. I recently looked at my stats and they, you know, the numbers don't lie. They just don't lie. Well, you only got up there for a cup, cup of coffee. So it was a really, fair. really delicious cup of coffee. Actually, my <laughs> cup of coffee was more like, uh, more like I was across the room and I can smell somebody else's coffee aroma. And that was my big league experience. All right. Sorry. But, let, about that. <laughs> but let's get to the most important thing right now, which is we got an interview today with a very special guest. He is the general manager of the New York Mets. Ladies and gentlemen, Zach Scott. How you doing, Zach? Hey, guys, I'm doing well. That's quite an intro there. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Zach, you know, you've been you've been with now the Mets for how long? Roughly seven, eight months now. And uh, uh, yeah, I started at the end of December. It's and it's been I mean, it's been an exciting time to be a Mets fan, you know, with, you know, uh, Stephen Cohen joining the franchise and seeing everything with Sandy Alderson and yourself and the the, the team you guys have been able to construct and uh, not only construct, but inherit as well. And being in first place right now, how do you feel that your team has been doing so far with the injuries, with the post-COVID era of baseball? How do you think the Mets are currently standing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of ups and downs this season. Obviously, for a lot of teams, the injuries have been uh, a challenging thing to deal with and manage. But um, given all that adversity, I think we're in a decent spot, obviously still in first place. Um, I think there's potential for us to play better. Um, I expect us to play better. Uh, there's a lot of guys having down seasons on the offensive side. Uh, but in general, you know, given all the things, there have been a lot of things that haven't gone right and some things that have. I, given all that, I, I'm, I'm pleased that we're in uh, first place still. Um, and uh, But we definitely need to play better going forward. You know, obviously, we're going to get to the trade deadline. We're 10 days away, so it's a very exciting time. And again, we appreciate your joining us during an exciting and busy time. I think you really hit on it with the ups and downs. Uh, a lot of the downs have been about injuries, and you guys have weathered it uh, pretty darn well, considering the number of injuries that you have had. And I think uh, before we get to the, all the trade questions we'll have, uh, we need to uh, ask you about, uh, you know, your best player, your best pitcher, the best pitcher in baseball, 
Jake DeGrom, he's had a number of injuries. Uh, how's he doing? And also uh, Lindor, who's been, by and large, a very healthy player throughout his career now is oblique, which can be tricky. It usually takes a month or so. Um, when, do, when do you expect to see them back uh, and healthy? Because uh, obviously they're two keys to the second half for your team. Sure. Yeah, no, they're definitely both really important to us. Jake uh, has a, you know, a, a mild, uh, some tightness in his forearm. It's pretty mild. Um, I'm not, we're not too concerned uh, long-term um, when he'll be back. It could be pretty quick. I mean, it all depends on symptoms, right? So he'll, you know, take, take, you know, take a little time to rest it, let the inflammation kind of go down and then, um, start ramping it up, but I, I don't expect it to be a long IL stint. Um, but it's always hard to predict these things because it, it's all symptom based, mm-hmm. nothing structurally concerning when you look at an MRI or anything like that. So, um, it's kind of similar to some of the things he's had before where there's some mild strains and inflammation and things like that. Um, and he's been able to return quickly. I was thinking, you know, you and I have actually uh, circled each other quite a bit over the last decade. You might not even realize it. I played for the Red Sox in 2016 for a very, very brief time in double yep. A. And then I was in 2017, I was with the Mets organization. So I, I've just roughly circled you, but you know, you're 17 years with the Red Sox. You got to be there during a time when that organization was able to completely flip the script, especially in the AL East, you know, becoming the new powerhouse during that time. What's it going to take going forward in the next decade, uh, so to speak, for the Mets to do the exact same thing in New York? Well, I think a lot of it is um, the people in the process that, that the people uh, follow. So we need to, we're, we're constantly assessing kind of the infrastructure of how we do things behind the scenes. And so how we evaluate talent, how we acquire it, um, coming up with better systems and, and, and ways to do those things to try and get an edge on our opponents. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here with the Mets. There are a lot of good people that are, that have been here before. Um, and then we brought in some, some good people, but there's, there's still opportunities there for us to define how we're going to develop players, um, how we're going to improve the way we do really everything. I mean, our whole goal as it was when I was with the Red Sox was to, for every person to be better than their 29 counterparts, at the other clubs. And I think creating that mentality of always trying to get better and figure out ways to get better. You need people to have humility to realize we only know what we know and we got to kind of expand our, our horizons and try to learn as much as we can and not think that we have all the answers. Um, but, and we need, um, you know, we just need to be smart about how we weigh the short term and the long term. And I think that's the hardest thing to build a sustained winner is to find that balance point. So right now we're in a situation where we have a chance to, to win our division and, and make a deep postseason run. And we need to try to do that because that's what, what our whole goal is. That's why we do this. We don't, we are not in this to get, we don't get rings for having the best farm system. We're in this to win championships, but at the same time, the only way you can have sustained success as, as, as we did in Boston was to have a constant pipeline of young talent. Because as you look at this current Mets club, as you mentioned before, inherited some really good players. A lot of the good young core of this team was drafted, developed um, by the Mets. So I think, you know, we can't lose sight of that as well. So anytime we're making a move to help us for the short term, we got to realize how that impacts us long term. Okay, from the, the big picture back to the specific, I'm going to go back to a, a specific question. Um, 
and that would be on Lindor. Um, sure. How is he doing? Is a month reasonable estimate for him to come back? And I, I will say you guys did a very nice job. Whoever idea was, whether it was you or Sandy or a team to uh, get, get depth with this team uh, and, and also to pick the right guys between uh, VR, Pilar, Peraza, uh, missing a few. But uh, this team is very, very deep, and it's been very important this year. Um, but how comfortable do you feel in the interim now? Because we do expect Lindor to be out for a few weeks at least uh, with shortstop. You have a few options there. Obviously, Guillaume is a good fielder, didn't have his usual game last night defensively. Um, do you feel like, you know, everything else you look you are looking for, do you have to add a shortstop in terms of, you know, how, looking at how long Lindor is going to be out? Well, I'd say, you know, as you mentioned before, the obliques can be tricky, probably standard timelines on those are four to six weeks um he's already doing better at this point than maybe some other guys that we've had that have had similar injuries so you know for whatever that's worth it's a Mm -hmm. longer road so that doesn't necessarily tell us a lot but it's good it's better than than the opposite so you know i think we do have some guys that are capable as you mentioned you know our goal was to build a depth you know, a lot of depth in the organization as best we could. It seemed like back in May when every, all our position players were getting injured that we, you know, hadn't done that. And we had to go out and acquire some more depth, but, um, but yeah, that was a good collaborative effort by our uh, baseball ops group. Um, I'm proud of that part of it and how we kind of utilized um, our remaining dollars to, to add some of those guys, like you mentioned, the guys you mentioned, but I think between guys like VR and Guillaume and Peraza, I think we can, um, piece together a short-term solution. It doesn't mean I, we wouldn't explore other possibilities, but I'd say that the kind of player that we would be looking at might be someone that has some versatility. So, you know, Francisco is going to come back and he's going to be our shortstop. And so, you know, that player would have to be able to, to play other positions as well. And with J.D. Davis back third, that helps us free up some guys to kind of move around the diamond. You know, we were talking about a little bit about Lindor being uh, banged up at the moment. And yeah, obliques can be very, very tricky and dodgy because there's no exact timeline when it comes to an oblique injury. But, um, you know, it seems as though Lindor, despite, you know, his opening of the season not being what you would expect it to be. And of course, he's starting to come along right now quite well. Um, but it seems as though he's been a vocal and, uh, you know, visual leader of that team on the field. And I'm not sure if that isn't the same in the clubhouse, but have you noticed any other players that have really stepped up in that leadership type of position? Yeah. Francisco's definitely been a leader um, and, and, you know, getting off to a start that, you know, he didn't want to have um, getting better each month, but while he's, you know, is struggling to maintain consistency every day, coming to the ballpark um, to not get too down too high when things are going well, uh, to just be consistent and supportive of his teammates all the time. He's shown really incredible leadership. He's always trying to help his teammates get better, even when he's trying to himself to get better. Other guys have stepped up as well. I'd say, you know, Kevin Pillar stands out as someone that I obviously had experience with in Boston last year. Uh, really impressed that a player who, you know, it came here not handed an everyday job, um, given the players we had on our roster, can step in and immediately become a leader and, uh, even though he was kind of coming in as a role player in some ways. Uh, it's really impressive. It didn't surprise me. I know it's been something that I think surprised some people that didn't know him, but, um, you know, I saw it last year and we were having a tough year, but he always um, 
stepped up and took on a leadership role. So he's definitely been someone that I think is worth highlighting how, how good a leader he's been. You know, your rotation has been overall uh, close to the best in, in baseball to this point, but I, I felt you were looking at starting pitching uh, anyway. And now we've got the DeGrom out. We think it's not too serious. We ex- you expect him back fairly soon, but uh, is starting pitching uh, the main focus um, in into the trade deadline here or a main focus or am I just completely barking up the wrong tree? No, that's, it's definitely a focus. It's I would say right as of today. Yeah. That's our top priority and has been for a while. Um, you know, I, I think we have, we've had three really good, consistently good starting pitchers who've for the most part been healthy. They've all had, you know, Stroman and Walker and, and De- Jake have all had um, little things here and there. But for the most part, they've been pretty consistently uh, very good for us. Um, and but so it's been, you know, Peterson had been pitching OK and then um, had an injury. So he'll be back at some point. Um, but, yeah, that's been the focus. A lot of our depth there, like Yamamoto got hurt early. We Zipucky's recently got, got, uh, gotten injured in the minors. McGill has stepped up and done a great job. Really happy with the work he's done so far. Uh, so feel good about him. But, yeah, there's. There's, I always say, you know, I do subscribe to that old adage that there's never, can never have enough pitching. Um, and I do think in the seasons that in my experience that have fallen apart, that's been the main reason why they've fallen apart. Um, that said, you know, open-minded to not just starting pitching, but bullpen upgrades or at least additions to help uh, what we already have. And we do have some good arms there. And then position players looking for those opportunities. I will say on the position players, I think we have a lot of really good ones. So several of them have underperformed their norms. And so they need to step up and be better. And I think, you know, it's good to see Michael Conforto have uh, some really good games lately. Um, so, you know, that's, but we'll, we'll be opportunistic and we'll look for any way to upgrade the team. There's only so many avenues to, to, that you can go down at this time of year. You know, staying on the, the whole concept on pitching, you know, we, we've seen lately, and of course your pitching has absolutely been huge all season, but lately, you know, a little bit of bullpen tr- troubles, specifically from Edwin Diaz over for the last month, roughly. And, uh, you know, upgrades, you know, you mentioned a uh, position player that can play multiple positions, be a very, you know, super utility type guy, infield, outfield, possibly play the corners. You know, a name that obviously comes to mind and has been linked to you guys a ton has been Chris Bryant. But what about like a guy like Craig Kimbrell, who obviously everybody in Major League Baseball, I mean, I think any contender is obviously on the lookout for a top of the line closer like Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, Craig's definitely had a great year. And, um, you know, obviously I have some history there with him in Boston. He was great for us there. Um, I know, you know, his work ethic and his makeup is all positive. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I think Edwin Diaz is, is a really good closer for us. Uh, I know he's struggled his last few outings, um, but I still believe in him. The stuff's still there. Um, there's been some execution issues recently, um, but I still, I still have a lot of confidence in him. And I think there's other guys there as well, you know, Seth Lugo and Familia and other guys that loop that have done a really good job contributing um so i don't necessarily think it has to be a closer for us to um add to our bullpen i'm just looking for good quality arms that can you know can help us in in high leverage yeah since starting pitching is is really the the main focus or the top priority shall we say uh, i'm looking at a list of guys who uh, you know have been rumored to potentially be on the block or be traded 
Um, you know, I mean, I will obviously we'll see, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of these guys, you know, there are 10 teams and we're going to, um, Cody and I will go over this later. Uh, there are like 10 teams that are on the bubble between when, uh, going forward and selling, buying and selling. And personally, I, you know, I think if one of them gets in, uh, that's possible, but I, I think most of them probably should sell. That said, uh, teams are reluctant to sell. They don't like doing it. And, uh, so I'm not sure how many of them are actually going to sell. You know, if I, I would say eight or nine of them should probably sell. I'm not sure that's going to be the case. Um, you know, there are a lot of big names that have been mentioned, speculated on like Scherzer and you've got really good pitchers on teams that are, uh, clearly sellers, but still have uh, time to go on their contract, uh, like Gibson, Kyle Gibson, who's having a career year, Barrios, who's having a very nice year. You've got guys with 10, five Scherzer's in that group, Duffy, um, you know, the Cleveland guys, you know, they'll consider anything, but would they really consider one of those young starters? I'm not sure. Colorado's got Marquez, who's really terrific and all-star, but you know, they, they, they don't seem anxious to trade him and, you know, Baltimore's got Means, who's just coming back tonight, um, and he's got three years to go. So teams don't like to do that when you've got control. Uh, how do you think generally, you know, without getting into specifics too much, generally uh, the starting pitching market could end up being pretty thin because a lot of these guys are not going to end up being traded. Uh, how do you look at it right now? Yeah, I'd say right now um, I, I'd agree with that, that, that I don't think there's a lot of, there are a lot of teams that are that motivated, especially pitchers that have additional years of control. You know, it's some of these, some of the teams that you mentioned probably think there's a good chance that they could compete, regroup in the offseason and compete next year. Um, so it doesn't mean they have to sell at all costs. So I think you're more likely to see what you traditionally see guys that are, you know, their contracts are expiring at the end of the year, becoming free agents. Those are the guys that tend to move, but you know, right now um, it's always, with pitching, I feel like it's always a, a seller's market. And so they hold the prices pretty high and, you know, we'll see if those prices come down or if they hold the bar really high and those guys maybe don't even get moved because the, if the industry decides that it's just too high a price to pay. Um, but I, I expect there to be some movement. I also know that a lot can change in these last days uh, leading into the, the deadline. You know, um, with your team, not not just the Mets themselves, but the division of the NL East being as close knit as it currently is. I know a lot of the teams are right around 500, but everyone's very much at the striking distance. Is there an added pressure for you as a GM or as you as a franchise to possibly make these moves, you know, basically to stop the other teams in your division to make moves or potentially just to get the players that you need as quickly as possible? Yeah, I always look at it as we have to focus on, on what we can control. I don't think we could, if we think we're going to be able to, you know, make moves and end up blocking our, our division rivals, um, I think we'd be overthinking it. So it's really just about, you know, what's the right move for us to be the best team going forward the rest of the season, but also being, like I said before, being mindful of how that impacts us down the road. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's about what makes us the best. And, you know, we want, in terms of pressure, there's always pressure, and one of the draws of coming to the Mets for me was that it was similar to Boston in the sense that it's a big city, a big market with a lot of ex expectations, especially when you're in the same share, share uh, the market with the New York Yankees, there's expectations in that city. Maybe it's a little different for Mets fans, but I want them to, to have the same expectations that, you know, Red Sox fans now have after 
for years, kind of until 2004, having a similar outlook on uh, on their club. I want the, I want to build something here where people you go in every year feeling that pressure to win because that's what it's all about. Now you've been linked to a couple of very good infielders, uh, such as Adam Frazier with the Pittsburgh, uh, Chris Bryant with the Cubs, and the infield market looks pretty stocked. I mean, we don't know if Merrifield's going to be traded. Uh, we don't know about Baez. We can't be sure on story, but you've also got, uh, you know, you've got several that could potentially be traded. As Seager, Kyle Seager's been on the block a lot. Uh, Scope uh, is a guy who plays a few positions. He's having a good year. Um, Escobar is obviously out there. I mean, there's a ton of infielders out there. Now you've got uh, Davis back, and he's obviously uh, started out hot. He's a good hitter. And, uh, you know, you've pieced it together with that good depth that we've talked about. Um, you know, I mean, how active are you guys going to be on the infield market to uh, kind of beef it up? You know, obviously you got McNeil, who's a starting player, a very good one. You've got Lindor coming back, not not ready yet, but, uh, you know, in third base, you've got a number of options. Um, you know, we, we've talked about starting pitching being the top priority probably for your team. Uh, how big a priority is the infield? Yeah, I mean, one thing about the prices on starting pitching or, or trades in general at this moment in time being pretty high is it gives you the opportunity to explore a lot of different things and have a lot of different balls in the air and move potentially moving parts. So, you know, you kind of do that, you, you, or at least that, that's the approach I've taken is to, to explore kind of what how different things would fit. Now, on the position players, like I mentioned before, I think we have – some very good players like JD Davis and Jeff McNeil, who's starting to come on um, lately. And obviously Lindor will come back. Pete Alonso has been good for us all year. Um, we have three outfielders that we like, plus guys like Pilar and uh, VR in the infield and, and are in two catchers that we like. So, you know, I have, we have to look at it as if we're acquiring another position player, we're displacing someone else. That's pretty good. And so, you know, if, if you're looking at it in terms of, you know, whereas in the starting pitching, there's pretty obvious holes at the moment that we could try to fill. Um, whereas with the position players, it's like, well, we, we'd be trying to upgrade off of already pretty solid players who might just be having down years. Those players, if we, you know, the guys we have may end up being better than what they've been. And uh, it's really about who's going to perform the best over the next two months or however long the control is on the players you're talking about. So, Two months, a lot can, you know, it's a small sample of time. So things can happen and performance in baseball, as you guys know, can fluctuate quite a bit. So, you know, it could be that Michael Conforto is about to start hitting like Michael Conforto usually does. And Jeff McNeil is looking more like Jeff McNeil, the guy who has a, you know, career 380 on base. And um, so we have a lot of good players. So, but at the same time, again, it's, it's my job to explore all these different options and see how the different pieces of the puzzle fit together. You know, Zach, this is your first, uh, you know, trade deadline going in as a general manager. Uh, what, what's the differences and what's it like having a collaborative uh, nature with Sandy Alderson? Is it, uh, is it easy to work with? Is it kind of tricky because you are in different places sometimes? Or is it just an, an easy collaborative effort together? With, the, with Sandy, it's very easy. I mean, Sandy is someone I've really enjoyed working with him. I did not know Sandy before I came here. I may have met him once, but didn't know him um, other than reputation, which is obviously very positive. So the relationship with Sandy, I mean, he's the president of the whole the whole operation, not just baseball operations. So, um, you know, he's got a lot on his plate. and He's really empowered me to 
be the general manager and handle the day-to-day baseball operation, handle the, you know, making the phone calls uh, to, to gauge possible trades. And then when we discussed it, he's, he's, he, you know, kind of just wants to hear where we're at and he'll chime in if he has different thoughts, but it's been, it's been very easy. I'd say the biggest challenge in being in my first deadline as a GM is, you know, I was in a place where I knew a a lot of the people for a long time. I kind of knew how they evaluated players. I knew the, the kind of information that they'd use both scouting and analytical and here it's a little different, you know, the, it's getting to know the scouts here and how they view players. You know, I'm getting on Zooms with them pretty regularly to talk through some, some uh, potential opportunities and, and hear them out, how they evaluate players. And same thing on the analytics side of things, um, getting to know what, you know, what kind of tools do we have to even use? And, and it was a pretty thin staff and we just hired a bunch of people. So, you know, we're not where, where I'm used to in terms of those types of things. So the kind of information that I have, at my fingertips isn't as uh, thorough on the analytical side and it's just getting to know the um, talent evaluators and kind of how they, how they view the world. Since, since we're getting into your job now, and again, uh, you were very easy to get for this show and we really appreciate that. And when I remarked about it, you made a joke uh, using kind of a play on the word acting uh, that you were acting uh, and you are uh, technically uh acting uh the acting general manager at this point so we should ask um do you know when they're going to act on that uh i mean the team is in first place uh what what are they uh what what are the thoughts there uh i'm sure you've enjoyed the job so far with all the headaches and that come with it uh do you have any idea on that what's going on uh, there? like i said before i can I'm only worry on about the, the spot things. here Sorry. well i can only worry about the things i can control so you know that's more of a question for for sandy and steve but uh you know all i'm focused on is doing the best job i can and i feel confident that you know the conversations that i've had with sandy and steve have, have gone very well and and there's a good working relationship with both of them um you know i feel like i have good relationships with them. So that, you know, that's all I can really worry about and just do my best to lead our group forward. We're doing a lot of uh, good things behind the scenes in terms of building out an infrastructure and a plan and really, really a vision for who the Mets are going to be long-term and really fleshing that out. So we can, um, by the end of the season, kind of be able to define who we are in terms of player development and scouting and analytically and everything that we do how are we going to go about our business and set those expectations for the for the people uh, working on our team you know not to go back to the the pitching side but there is one pitch you guys acquired this year that i has just been so fun for me as a you know baseball guy to watch and that's taiwan walker um what is um what is something going into a trade deadline or eventually an offseason that helps you identify someone like a Taiwan Walker that you know can come and help your team that might not be getting the attention that they quite frankly deserve? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question because it's it's hard. Now, everything, you know, what we do is trying to always predict the future, right? Like that's our, pretty much our, our whole job is to figure out if we acquire this guy, what can we expect this player to do for us? And with Ty, I mean, one of the things I, I, I should have mentioned him when we talked about leadership um, that was one of the things, and, and you know, also with Pilar that we we targeted it was bringing in the right people, not just good players, but the right people. Because when you play in a place like New York, where there's pressure and expectations, you need to have 
it's important how your clubhouse, you know, the, what your clubhouse culture is like. And so I think we're in a really good spot with that, with, with Louis Rojas at the, at the helm in terms of keeping that even keeled, um, everyone caring about each other. I mean, this is one of the best clubhouses I've ever been in. And Ty's a big part of that. Uh, the way he goes about his business. Um, knew he was a talented pitcher. He missed a couple of years with some injuries. Uh, we felt pretty good when we vetted that. He was really excited to be join the Mets. I mean, it was one of those things. I think he mentioned that we were the only team that made an offer, <laughs> which I, I <laughs> joked with his agent that that's, that makes me look bad. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could have gone for one year or two million. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, but so, but but I know obviously I know what the circumstances were. Was that he, uh, you know, his agent Jim Murray, uh, who I have a good relationship with, called me and said, "Hey, let's make this happen." Like he wants to be part of the Mets. He's excited about what you guys are doing. He's excited about some of the players you've acquired, and you know, I know I can get this deal this deal, or i believe i can get this with other clubs so but i want to try to exhaust all possibilities with you guys first before i turn to those other clubs and so we worked something out that we felt like was fair for both sides um which to me are always the best negotiations when you feel like uh it's a win-win and, and he's you know far exceeded any expectations that i had for him he's been outstanding um both as a pitcher and as a human being. So finding a guy like Ty Walker at the deadline, I mean, that would be great. I don't, it's a hard thing to do. Um, but yeah, we hope we can find another Ty. Yeah, Taiwan was fantastic. I was only kidding about one year or two million. Uh, it was 20 million <laughs> for two years. And I mean, there were so many other, it's a dicey situation when you're not talking about, a, you know, an obvious Garrett Cole, you know, you, you're talking about a good pitchers, uh, but you never know what it's going to turn out to be. I mean, there were other guys in there like James Paxton who got hurt almost immediately and uh, you picked the right guy. So uh, hats off to you for that. There were obviously San Francisco did a good job with these Clefani. There have been a couple right. that have panned out, but uh, many, many do not pitching. It's tough because uh, you know, there's, there's underperformance and there's injuries. So two out of three things are bad or negative. It's not an easy uh, game. So uh, congratulations on that. You mentioned, uh, Louis Rojas, you know, I was a little concerned last year. It wasn't fair to judge in the pandemic year. And uh, I think you guys did the right thing to bring him back. And uh, he seems to be doing a good job. But now I think the team has options on him. And I don't know if this is I put you on the spot about your job, but I'll put you on the spot again. Is, is this your call as an acting general? Normally, a general manager uh, has a lot of say over the manager. But is this your sure. call? And uh, how is he doing? <laughs> well, <laughs> couple things there that I'll, I'll address. So one, I think I have, I'm in a good spot to make a, a judgment call on Louis because, you know, we interact pretty much every day. I'm closest to the day to day there uh, with him. I've really enjoyed, I, I mentioned this in a, in a media availability recently that one of the best parts of this job has been getting to know him. Um, such an outstanding human being, the person, you know, the person first um, is great. The way the players respond to him, they love playing for him. I've seen this, only a couple of times before um, to this degree. Um, and it's really important. It's important that the guys feel like he's got their back. He respects them and that he can have difficult conversations with him, with them. And he's, they're going to listen because they respect him. Part of that is, you know, for some of our young core that I mentioned before, he was managing them in the minors and has incredible recall. He'll talk about things that happened with them, you know, four years ago when he was there and just moments where he connected with them as minor leaguers. It's kind of, it used to be the way managers got jobs before was that they worked their way up to the minors. You're seeing less of that now. I, I think it's, it's 
kind of almost strangely unique now to have someone like that. And I think it's a real benefit to us as far as his contract goes. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not something I've told Louie from the beginning. You know, I'm in a similar boat as he is. So, um, you know, there's uncertainty uh, about, you know, those types of things, but that we're going to focus on what's going on this year and let the rest take care of itself. And, and he's, he's definitely has great perspective and we're, we're both in this together, working hard to uh, achieve our goals. You know, I just like to echo something to you about Louis because uh, you're right. He has an incredible rapport with his players. I played for Luis Rojas for about a month and a half in 2017. And I don't think I've played for as many managers that had that much of a rapport with his players. And mainly because it was almost like he was one of the players, yet he still commanded so much uh, respect from all of the guys. Uh, it was like yeah. he was going through it with them. And it was just, it was something very special. You could see it in early time with Luis Rojas. But looking at your roster right now, say, say, Worst case scenario, and if you can even call it that, say nothing happens at the trade deadline at all. Things just don't happen all that well for whatever reason. Is this lineup, this 2021 line uh, roster, right, that you have right now, assuming everybody can come back healthy, um, is this a World Series team right now? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it's a team that, you know, with the with the guys that we have at the top of our rotation, I think there's a lot of things when I look at, you know, what makes a world series team. And I think about, you know, the four teams I was fortunate to be a part of in Boston, there are some common threads and having, you know, a strong back end of the bullpen, a strong top of the rotation, um, a balanced lineup. Uh, those are important. Do we have the lineup that we had in some of those years? No, I'm not going to pretend that that's the case, but I think we have a lot of good players and we have some versatility and some depth. We could do some things late in games as necessary, which is important in the national league game, which, has been interesting to me to be doing that all year. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think so. Um, do I think we can get better? Yeah, I definitely do. And, and I think it's important that uh, we do our best to improve the team because I think that these guys deserve to have the best opportunity to become that World Series champion. Now, along those lines, and again, this may not be a question for you. This probably should be addressed to Steve Cohn, but uh, – it's not your money, so. but I'll, I'll ask you anyway, since I'm sure they talk to you about what you're able to do. Uh, you guys are not that far away from the luxury tax. I mean, it depends how many players you're acquiring here. Um, do you have the go-ahead to go over that $210 million luxury tax, or uh, has that really not been determined yet? Well, I think Steve's spoken publicly on the matter and, he, and what he said is similar is what basically what he said to me, which is, you know, I'm not sure if, if you're going to go over, I'm not sure it makes sense to go over by a dollar. It makes sense to go significantly <laughs> over. I mean, the real, the real deterrent in going over isn't for, for the New York Mets isn't necessarily about money. It doesn't mean Steve's going to just throw around money and not, uh, you know, without thinking about it, he's a very thoughtful guy. Um, but it's really about the baseball kind of penalties that are associated with it. So if you think about, you know, if you have free agents that may be worthy of qualifying offers and then you get draft pick compensation, when you go over, you, instead of getting picks after the first round, you're getting picks, you know, maybe in the fourth round and things like that. So you lose draft uh, international pool money, things like that. So it's one of those things that it's, as we talked about earlier, it affects your future more than it affects your present. Um, and so we just have to be mindful of it. Doesn't mean we wouldn't do it. But it has to be the right opportunity. And, you know, does it make sense to take on um, a lot of money just to that put a money that puts us over, but it's not a player that we think makes an impact? 
you know, probably not, but there might be an impact player available that puts us over that we do feel that it makes sense to go over. So it's like anything else. You got to factor that into the equation of what the value of those draft picks are, potential draft picks. Uh, we also don't know what the new world's going to look like after the CBA expires, which makes it more challenging uh, to think through these issues. But yeah, it's something we need to think about. Is it the end all be all driver of our decisions? No, it's not. You know, we, we discussed everything here in the trade deadline, everything going forward, and obviously the most important question of the day. And really, it is a more of a one-word answer. July 30th, black jerseys. <laughs> excited or not excited? I'm excited. I like <laughs> I love the black jerseys. You're I a do. team player. You have to No, I actually am. I mean, it's, I think they look great. I, I always liked them back in, what was it, 2000, um, you know, in the World Series and the – those guys, that team had them, I think. I mean, they're different versions of them. So I don't, I, I think I've seen it, but they, they look good. So I'm excited about it. <laughs> good. Maybe not as excited about Steve, but pretty excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Uh, you know what I want to ask you, you? You know, you've been in New York as the GM or acting GM now for several months. Uh, you know, you were in Boston, uh, kind of behind the scenes. You had a big job there. You were assistant general manager. Um, and by the way, I, I doing a little math there. I didn't realize you were, you were there 17 years. Does that mean your first year was 2004? Was that your first year or your second year? I went, yeah, so I actually, you're a good luck charm. So I started <laughs> consulting at the end of 2003. So I guess I'm not a good luck charm in that year. But then my, <laughs> I, I wanted to move up, move full time to the Red Sox and they, they offered me an internship in 2004. So yeah, that was my first, uh, my first year there every day. Okay. All right. So um, just, uh, we, we only have a few minutes, few seconds here left, but so this is going to be a quick one, but uh, how has it been for you as general manager? Uh, you know, uh, Cashman is always criticized, praised. Everybody knows him. You know, your name hasn't really, uh, you know, gotten out there that much so far. You're able to uh, uh, do the job without uh, getting trashed all over the place, or maybe I'm missing it. I don't know. How, how has it been for you so far and again we don't have that much time so you have a, yeah, so, a few seconds to answer that. so I, I take the approach of trying to block out all the noise about that sort of thing but uh my friends certainly love to share what people say about me on twitter so <laughs> <laughs> i guess that makes them good friends i don't know man but, but they uh, i get some screenshots sent to me because they just think it's hilarious when people take shots at me on twitter so uh but i have a thick skin so i'm not worried about it um and I can laugh at it too. I kind of view it as the, the Jimmy Kimmel show uh, reading mean tweets sketch that he does there. It's kind of, it's a more amusing to me than anything else. Zach, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. I played for the Mets organization. I root for the Mets organization. We are going to be rooting for you all the way through the trade deadline and all through the season. Thank you so much for joining us on Odyssey Sports for Big Time Baseball. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 